children, we all dream of big things. Being the superhero, being the one to make a difference in a big way. That's probably why so many superhero movies are popular today. There's still something inside us, something we're born with that drives us to be and do more. But few of us have clarity from the beginning as to how exactly that's going to happen. What is it that I will do? How will I change the world? In my experience, more of us stumble on it by what seems like accident than receive it in a flash of revelation. And it's that process, that journey of hustle and sweat and hard work that bring clarity as we go along. That brings us to podcasting. It's a pretty safe bet to say that everyone who's starting a podcast hopes it will turn into something big, something that both makes their mark on the world and helps other people in life-changing ways. For those who take it seriously, the ones who dedicate themselves to learning what it takes and then implementing what they learn with patient persistence, it all pays off. For some, it pays off in ways bigger than they could have imagined. Oh my gosh, it's been a completely life-changing little experiment. Like I said, it, was, it started as just this little side project, something I was going to do. Within a year and a half, it was uh, really my main focus. You know, I've been doing it for 14 months, 60-something episodes. Went from 1,000 subscribers to 3,000 on the email list within three months. Within six months, it was 6,000. So it was a big turning point, a little over a year into it. Last year, the sponsorships pretty much matched my old corporate salary, which was really, really cool to do, but that wasn't the picture, you know, in the early days. It's incredible, the the reach from a $50 mic in your living room. It's it's an amazing, amazing broadcast medium. It's really been uh, life-changing for me. That's Nick Loper. Nick Loper. Nick Loper. Nick Loper. Nick Loper. Nick Loper. The guy behind the incredible success of the Side Hustle Show. He's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. A guy who learned as he went along, applied what he learned to the next logical thing, and has become a resource and a friend, not to mention a life-changing inspiration to many as a result. The biggest benefit of doing the show, like the biggest unexpected benefit, I don't know why I say unexpected, because like, you know, you see the dots on the chart and you realize those are those are people. And you, if you want to build an audience, like you need people to tune in. What's been the most rewarding thing is being able to meet those people everywhere we travel, domestically, internationally. We have friends like all over the world. Way back in 2003-2004, an amazing new media technology was developed. It was audio content that could be directly delivered to anyone who subscribes to it. And they called it a podcast. Since that time, podcasting technology has improved and the number of shows have increased exponentially. In these special edition audio sessions of my show, Podcastification, I feature the stories of the people who have found success creating their own podcast, and I'm calling them Podcaster Stories. 
Nick Loper is a regular guy. If you've ever met him, you know just how true that is. He's humble, unassuming, and doesn't immediately strike you as the dynamo that he really is. What's his secret? I'm not sure what he'd say, but I believe it's this. He's smart, ambitious, and he knows how to work hard. That's a combination that makes for great potential. The people who I was following online were doing some interesting things with establishing their own personal brands. And that path kind of appealed to me because at that point, like I had the shoe business, it was reasonably successful, but I don't know, like it sounds selfish to be like, I, I wanted, uh, you know, I wanted more. Did he say a shoe business? Like I had the shoe business, it was reasonably successful. Yep, that's what he said. So how in the world did Nick start out with a shoe business? And how did he wind up where he is now? It's an example of what I described at the beginning, being smart enough to step through the doors that present themselves and learning all you can while you're there. That's the attitude that has served Nick amazingly well. And it opens the door to everything we now know as the Side Hustle Nation. Uh, This was a totally uh, lucky series of events. Um, So my uh, roommate uh, in college, I owe a lot to this guy because he was was the first guy who introduced me to uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad. Rich Dad Poor Dad is a book written by Robert Kiyosaki and Sharon Lecter. He's like, hey, check out this book. I read it over the summer. I think you really like it, which influenced me on the idea of buying or building assets um, instead of stuff. You know, investing for cash flow, really influential. He also pointed me to this little classified ad in our uh, student uh, newspaper who was like, hey, this, these guys are looking for a marketing intern. Why don't you go apply? And I was like, all right, I'll go check it out. That uh, company was a uh, brick and mortar shoe store in uh, Seattle where, where we grew up. And in the early days of the internet, they had this wild and crazy idea to put some of their inventory online. And by the time I came on board, the online portion of their business was growing way, way faster. And so that was an opportunity to work directly for the marketing manager on uh, SEO, on pay-per-click advertising, on their affiliate program. SEO, pay-per-click, and affiliate programs are all internet search and marketing terms. If you don't know what they are, there is a great resource called Google. You should try it. You know, all this e-commerce stuff, and that was really my first exposure to it. They were paying me to come in a few days a week and be their marketing intern, but it was really, you know, hands-on experience that was really, really cool. Nick calls it a lucky series of events. Some would call it providence. Whatever you want to call it, none of it would have happened if Nick hadn't checked out the opportunity. And did you hear what he learned while he was there? Marketing. SEO. Pay-per-click advertising, affiliate programs, e-commerce stuff. It was the hands-on experience that set Nick up for his next opportunity, his first side hustle. So after that internship ended, I started out, well, I already know how to do this stuff. I already know the footwear market a little bit. Let's see if I can be an affiliate of theirs and some other companies. So I started out with direct link text ads on Google, which I don't know if it's still a thing, but back in the day, you could bid on specific, in my case, specific models of shoes like the Nike model XYZ or the New Balance model XYZ. New Balance was really good for it because they had like really specific model names, like model number, model name. Bid on those really, really long tail keywords. A long tail keyword is a longer, specific phrase of text used to search for things on the internet. And then put your affiliate link in the 
destination URL. Hey, look, I've done the, the research. Here's where you can find the best price. And that was able to start really, really affordably. Didn't have to build a website. It cost $5 at the time to start an AdWords account, which I think now it's free. And you could set a budget. And I was still in college. So my budget was like a dollar a day. Like, I don't know if this is going to you know, blow up. Like, I just want to like test the waters here. Notice something incredibly important here. Nick didn't allow obstacles and difficulty to stand in his way. He started with what he had available. I mean, come on. He was a college student at the time. How much more of a cash poor situation could he have been in? But he didn't let it deter him. He did what he could to the tune of $1 per day. Was able to validate the business that way. And then after graduation, after getting a corporate job, like that was still running, was like became really tedious to, you know, constantly be checking prices and stuff would go out of stock. And, you know, you'd be advertising for something that was no longer competitive. So my theory was if I could build a database that would bring all these different retailers' catalogs into one place and spit back out the best price that would be less maintenance. And that didn't necessarily turn out to be true because it's still there's still a lot of inventory turnover, you know, in this seasonal, like a very seasonal product. And But that's what I ended up uh, having built. I, I remember I contracted a guy on uh, guru.com. It's like a precursor to Elance and Upwork and, and all these uh, freelancer sites. Got a few bids back, but one of the guys was just like half an hour away from me. I was living in Northern Virginia at the time. So I went over to his apartment and we were like hashing out this deal I think he cut me a discount once he realized it was just like one 22, 23-year-old dude. <laughs> he was like, oh, okay, it's just you? This like, isn't a big company? Okay. Uh, so we had that thing built. And from there, it was just a, a hustle. It was three years of nights and weekends to, to try and build it up to where I felt comfortable uh, quitting that job. Three years of nights and weekends. Did you catch that? Building something successful online takes endurance and lots of it. You have to be committed to doing what it takes to build whatever it is you're building. Nick modified, iterated, changed his approach, and kept at it until it started to pay off. At the time, that meant being able to quit his full-time job. And he hadn't even gotten to the point of starting a podcast yet. I thought... It's like trying to figure out, you know, how to enter this market, how to help more people, you know, not necessarily do what I did, follow my footsteps, but to like showcase, look, there are real ways to make extra money and regular people are doing it. And, you know, maybe the, the interview format was the gateway drug or like the introduction, like how to formulate that content. I love the way Nick just described the interview format, the gateway drug into podcasting. <laughs> I get what he's saying. Interviews are a simple, albeit not necessarily easy way, to begin putting out content. You don't have to be the expert. You don't have to have something important to say. You just have to be curious and eager to learn yourself. That's where the Side Hustle Show really began. Yeah, my first few guests were, you know, somebody had a, a virtual assistant company, kind of like a, a marketing agency that he was running. Um, somebody was hosting, like, you know, I'll teach you how to do a cool wedding dance for your wedding. I'll, uh, you know, start an online magazine was one of them. Uh, somebody was an app developer. You know, everybody was kind of completely outside of the traditional I'll make money online space by teaching people how to make money online. Nick embodies one of my favorite three word phrases, figure it out. That's what every good side hustler does. They get started on the path they believe is going to take them to their goal and they figure things out along the way. 
at the very beginning, there were some technical challenges, like just figuring out how a podcast worked, how to edit audio, although, I mean, that's learnable. It's, you know, free software, Audacity. But I, I made the mistake of like exporting the first seven or 10 episodes in uh, stereo. So the very few people that I could find to listen to me were like, uh, we could only hear half the conversation if they're like rolling down the freeway with one earbud in. So stupid mistakes like that, even just hosting the the files. Like I thought iTunes would host the files. Like I had no idea you needed your own separate media host. And it was 15 bucks a month. Had it been 25 or 30, like the show probably wouldn't exist because I was like, okay, what am I committing myself to? How long am I going to do this? Like, but it was like 15 bucks. Like, okay, I can swing that. Let's make this happen. Good on you, Nick. You overcame the obstacles and got the show rolling. Every podcaster faces that very real hurdle at some point. And that's not the most important challenge. The other big challenges are kind of the awareness challenge in the production challenge. So the awareness challenge is like, people don't know your show exists. So I started, I had an email list of 11 people, which is entirely friends and family at that point. What I did to launch the show was like literally go through my Gmail contacts history, open up a new compose window and type a letter like A, and then like AA, just go through the alphabet. Like, oh, I haven't emailed Aaron in a while, right? Hey, Aaron, what's going on, man? Hope everything's going good with you. Uh, just wanted to let you know, I am uh, started this new project I'm kind of excited about. It's a uh, weekly podcast about making extra money. And of course, now I've had five years to refine what I actually wrote. <laughs> so it's probably way more awkward than that. But it was like, here's the link to check it out. I think I even put like, you don't even have to listen to it. Like every download counts, right? Every download helps me in the ranking algorithm or something. And that was how, you know, I just went through like A through Z. I probably emailed 100 people to try and get that initial boost. Don't you just love the naive, ignorant, but bold way Nick went about things? Can you imagine emailing every single person you have in your Gmail contact list one at a time? That's the kind of hustle it takes to make things happen. But at some point, it takes a bit more than hustle. It takes the combination of savvy and great content. And really podcasts spread word of mouth. Like how do you discover new shows? Like your friend tells you about it. So it's like creating something that's too good not to share. And that's really the aim. Create helpful content that people feel compelled to share with somebody. Because to reference Pat Flynn, it was... Pat Flynn is a blogger and podcaster, best known for his podcast, Smart Passive Income. Pat Flynn, it was an episode of his show. I want to say it was like on, um, you know, flipping Amazon products. Like, you know, buy stuff at Walmart and sell it on Amazon. And so immediately I get home from the dog walk and I like send it to five people who are like, you know, my friends who are the the super thrift shoppers. It's like, they're always hunting for deals. I was like, oh my gosh, you guys have to listen to this. This will make you money, right? That's what I aim to create with the show. And I'm not to say that I hit that every time out there, but like, you know, it was too good not to share. Too good not to share. I love it. And it leads me to a short announcement I have about something that's been percolating in my head that's also too good not to share. We'll be back to Nick's podcaster story right after this. Stories like Nick's are too good not to share. They serve all of us by showing what can be done through telling the story of what has been done. I believe that there are thousands, if not millions of stories similar to Nick's that need to be told. And I believe those stories exist across disciplines, across industries, and across cultures. So far, my story has included founding and building a company, 
that resources people who want to tell stories in their industry. And we've done that primarily through professional audio editing, production, and show notes. But like Nick, I want something more. So I'm happy to announce the creation of Narratively, a new podcasting service for those who want to take their storytelling to the next level. Inspired by shows like Freakonomics Radio and Masters of Scale, my team and I are attempting to do something way beyond what we've done before. We want to publish narrative interview podcasts that are highly produced, empowering audio episodes like you're hearing from Nick for anyone who has a powerful story to tell. It's not easy to do at a distance, and it's not easy to figure out the logistics behind the back-and-forth communication that's necessary to make the process both efficient and effective. But we're going to figure it out. In fact, we're 90% of the way there already. If you are a C-suite exec, high-level entrepreneur, or thought leader who wants to put your message out via the powerful new medium of narrative interviews, check out what we're doing at narratively.com. You can apply to become one of our beta clients who will help us refine and tweak our system in exchange for a modest discount on our services. That's narratively.com. And there's no E in narratively. All right, let's get back to Nick's podcaster story. Nick was making income from his online shoe comparison website. He made a pivot by starting a podcast, highlighting real ways people were making money on the side. That's when he made a discovery about how podcasting works to drive any business forward. There was an inflection point realizing that the podcast was content marketing. Content marketing is the act of providing helpful free content to your ideal customers to build trust and gain a following. It was just it was just like a blog post. Like, what's the point of this blog post? To get people to discover your brand, to build a relationship, to hopefully opt in for your email list. When I figured that out, that was a big inflection point for the show and for the Side Hustle Nation brand as a business. You know, I've been doing it for 14 months, 60-something episodes. Went from 1,000 subscribers to 3,000 on the email list within three months. Within six months, it was 6,000. So it was a big turning point, a little over a year into it in, in just this realization, like, okay, this is content marketing. Like The numbers, at least at this point, don't justify a business on its own. So that was, that was really important for me. Content marketing. It's the act of putting genuinely helpful content out into the world in order to highlight yourself or your brand. But as Nick pointed out, the benefits don't come overnight. I tell potential podcasters all the time, podcasting is a long game. You've got to commit to it, work it, relentlessly plug away at both the craft and the distribution of it, and know that in time, when you've built up the credibility that comes from giving generously over the long haul, the payoff will come. For Nick, that not only came through periodic sales of his own resources, including numerous ebooks and paperbacks he has available on Amazon, but also through sponsorships. It's probably around year three where uh, companies started reaching out to me and saying, hey, we'd like to sponsor the show. So I'm like, okay, let's figure out something that works. It really is the wild, wild west. I mean, you'll find some guides on, you know, here, here are the industry standard CPMs for pre-roll. CPM, or cost per thousand, is the cost an advertiser pays for 1,000 views clicks, or plays of their advertisement. CPMs for pre-roll, for mid-roll. 
Pre-roll and mid-roll are terms used to describe the location of an advertisement within a podcast episode. The companies don't necessarily care, or at least a lot of the companies that you'll work with don't really care. You know, just throw out a number. The bigger the brand, likely the higher the budget. And of course, they're going to want to track results. So, you know, maybe start small and you don't want to you don't want to like rake somebody over the coals because ideally you want somebody to be with you long term. I talked to Jack Spierko from the Survival Podcast. Incredible story. Like he's uh, started his podcast in his car, like rolling down the freeway in Texas. He's 10 years deep into it, a couple hundred thousand listeners a day. Like, and he's got this radio voice, like he's meant for it. He said his average sponsor has been with him eight years. That's what you want. Like that makes life easy for him because he's not having to come up with new ad reads and keep rotating the stuff. These same companies want to keep getting in front of this audience because they they know he's reaching that target audience. Take note, that was three years of publishing consistent, helpful content. Three years of weekends and evenings. Three years of juggling personal time and side hustle time. Years of honing his craft, building his audience, and waiting for the right doors to open. Pay attention. Don't miss that little dose of reality. Here's why it's important. I receive emails from wannabe podcasters all the time who say that they want to be among the top downloaded podcasts in Apple Podcasts six months from now, with big dollar sponsors knocking down their doors. Hello? Hello? Anybody home? Hey, think with fly. Think. My friends, unless you already have a large and loyal following, it's not going to happen that way. Podcasting does not work like a microwave. It works more like a crockpot. Slow, steady heat over time will win the game. Sorry about that soapbox moment. Let's get back to what Nick was saying about how he's found podcast sponsorships to work. You'll find there are companies that are easier to work with and companies that are harder to work with. So naturally, the price can increase for those companies, kind of a pain in the butt fee. Like I used to do, <laughs> I used to like go paint houses in college. And so like if this customer is really, you know, they're, they're kind of being a pain, like while you're out there on the estimate, it's like, oh, I'm going to tack on a little padding on this one uh, just, to, just to be safe. Um, and same thing uh, with the show sponsorships. Nick just highlighted another of the wonderful things about podcasting, and it's one I encourage podcasters to take seriously. After you've earned the right to take advertising dollars, follow this advice. It's your show. You set the rules. Just like the business minds behind Wired Magazine or Rolling Stone get to decide how much advertisers pay for a placement within their pages, you get to decide what people or companies will pay to have a spot on your show. Don't sell yourself short. But more importantly, don't abuse your audience. My theory is that if you're truly trying to serve your listeners, the advertisements you allow on your show should serve your listeners as well. Be selective. Keep your audience in mind and you'll do fine. But how do you know when you're really ready for sponsors? Sponsorship, like it's, it's amplitude and frequency. Like John Lee Dumas, when he... John Lee Dumas is the creator and host of the podcast Entrepreneur on Fire. Dumas, when he was doing daily, could build an amazing business off of sponsorship because he had the amplitude, he had the big audience, and he had the frequency. He was doing it every day. So the numbers worked out for him. If you're doing a weekly show and you're getting a thousand listeners, even five thousand listeners, like it might not be a significant source uh, of income for you. Now that's not to say like 
don't do it. I think it adds a sense of legitimacy to your show, especially even at the beginning. You're like, oh, this guy's already got sponsors. Like, you must be doing good. What I did for probably starting about a year in was just running uh, affiliate ads as sponsors. Hey, this episode is sponsored by whoever, Airbnb. Um, use my Airbnb link for $25 off your first day or something like that. And maybe made a few referrals off of that. But, you know, get people used to hearing a little ad read. So let's say you're making your case with a potential sponsor. You're trying to seal the deal. What's the best way to go about it? My advice is to look at all the ways you're going to be able to feature and highlight that sponsor and make that part of your message. You know, blog posts, social media posts, mailing lists, all that stuff. Anything and everything that goes into supporting that podcast episode. And don't forget about the fact that it's going to be out there on the internet for as long as you pay your media hosting bill or until an electromagnetic pulse weapon takes down the electrical grid. I asked Nick if he took that approach. Um, I definitely try and sell it that way. Like, hey, you know, the show is getting 25,000 downloads today, but hey, this is going to live out there forever. You know, the shows that we did a year ago, two years ago, five years ago are still getting downloads. And so there is kind of this permanence to it. On top of that, I'm going to syndicate your episode to YouTube in most cases, where it's like free incremental listens. Some of the episodes over there have done really well, tens of thousands of incremental listens. I'm going to include your, you know, your link and your banner on the show notes page. I promote almost every episode to my email list. That's however many thousand deep. Like there's different ways to kind of up the perceived value in the eye of the sponsorship. If you have a community, you could say, I'm going to plug this in my Facebook community. I'm going to plug you on social media. I'm going to include you in my newsletter. Like there's different ways you kind of structure the package to get out of just like this straight CPM. Like, cause that math may not necessarily work in your favor, but there's other ways to kind of put a package together. Nick's story is what I'd call a working man's fairy tale. No fairy godmothers, no magic lamps or rings or potions or spells. Just the miracle of what happens when you stay focused, work hard, and don't give up. It's an ordinary miracle, but one that's miraculous nonetheless. It's the system by which the world works. You reap what you sow. I decided to wrap up my conversation with Nick by asking him for his advice to a couple of different people who may be listening. First, to those who are considering a podcast as their next step forward. Well, think about this. You know, a year from now, you're going to wish you started today. And iTunes is only getting more crowded. So the sooner you can get in, the better. Uh, that's my theory. I wish I'd started, you know, several years before I did. But that said, a year from now, the landscape is only going to be harder to crack. So, you know, get in now because you're going to need to put in your reps to get better. And so it's better to do that early. And no, nobody's listening at the beginning anyway. So, you know, don't, don't feel too bad about it. But I also thought that because of the obstacles and difficulties Nick had to overcome along the way, he'd be a great person to give some advice to those who have already started a podcast, but are finding it discouraging, demoralizing, or otherwise difficult. Is there a time to quit? Is there a time to decide to put it on hold? How can you know? If you're not sure it's something that you can continue, if it's something that you have come to dread doing, then probably not. But if it's something that is still exciting and you can kind of see the see the future of it, like, I don't know if you were in this session, this was uh, Cliff Ravenscraft. 
Radcliffe Ravenscraft is a podcaster, businessman, and business coach known as the Podcast Answer Man. At a podcast movement in Chicago 2016, he gets up and he does this talk and somebody stands up, you know, during the Q&A and was like, pretty much the same question. I've been doing the show six months. I'm only getting 200 downloads. You know, what do you recommend? And he was like, first of all, reframe your language only needs to go like 200 people is incredible. Like look around this room. There are probably less than 200 people in this room right now. And that's a lot of people. Like that's a crazy amount of people to be talking to. Like if you had to go stand up and give a speech in front of 200 people, like imagine that. And so what he recommended was trying to encourage that engagement any way you can, like running a contest, comment on this episode, join my Facebook group, trying to get people from being anonymous earbuds, like to being actual names that you can start conversations with. And then it can snowball from there. Like, hey, who else do you know? Who else should I talk to? Uh, to go back to the survival podcast, Jack did the same thing early on. He ran a uh, an iPod giveaway because it was 2008. And he's like, hey, if we can get to a thousand listeners, like getting people involved in the show, if we get to a thousand listeners by the end of the year, I'll give away an iPod. I need your help to spread the word. Uh, sign up uh, for this special giveaway email list uh, on the website. And he said that actually worked to his SEO uh, favor as well because people were posting it on forums and Facebook and stuff like that. And then finally, if you have a show rolling and you want to grow it even more, what is Nick's very best advice? He suggests you adopt what he calls the listener pyramid. I try to think of it this way, as like climbing the listener pyramid. So picture a pyramid and there's four steps on the pyramid. Strangers, listeners, subscribers, and fans. You know, everything that you do related to the podcast is to ascend people on that pyramid. And the first step is that discovery problem. Like, how do I turn strangers into listeners? How do I get people to tune in, even if it's just once? Like, if I can get them once, hopefully it's good enough. They're hooked. It helps them. That's good. And now they're now they're listening and you try and ascend the next level. How do I turn that one time or that infrequent listener into a subscriber? Because there's a, there's a bunch of shows that I listen to, but don't necessarily subscribe to, but there was something that, you know, they, maybe they offered a content upgrade on the show that I opted in for. Somehow I got on their email list. Like Tim Ferriss is, is an example of this. Tim Ferriss is an entrepreneur, podcaster, author, and investor. He's the creator and host of the podcast, The Tim Ferriss Show. Don't listen to every one of his shows, but somehow I'm on Tim's email list. And occasionally he'll send me an email with his next show. And the subject line, the hook of that email gets me listening to him again. So he's ascending me on that ladder. Every time, every minute, every hour I spend with him in my earbuds, like I'm becoming more and more of a Tim fan. And so I think about that as like, you know, a different touch point to, you know, turn that listener into a subscriber, into a fan. And then really turning subscribers into fans is probably helping somebody like, you know, so they're, they're taking action based on what you or your guest said, and they're seeing some results from that. If you can get people to that milestone, you're probably going to have a, a fan. And that's probably where the, the magic happens in terms of, of sharing as well. You know, I have to agree with Nick. When you're able to build those kinds of relationships, and they are relationships, that's where the magic happens. I hope Nick's story has been more than inspiring to you. I hope it moves you to take real action, the kind that can get you results over time. I encourage you to find out more about Nick 
and The Side Hustle Show. Of course, we'd love to have you tune in to The Side Hustle Show, available in iTunes or your podcast player app of choice. And if you're looking for a side hustle idea, you can start with sidehustlenation.com slash ideas. That's my constantly updated laundry list of part-time business ideas that you can start today with no opt-in required. Nick, thanks again for being my first test subject on a new format of podcast. And thank you for all you've done for podcasting and to help newbies and veterans alike side hustle their way to success. This has been a podcaster story from Podcast Fast Track and Narratively. You can find out more at narratively.com. The tune you're listening to right now is called Shaving Mirror, and it's by an amazingly talented composer named Kevin McLeod. You can find his music at incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons 3.0.